So it's important to be able to give them that knowledge to be able to name it, name what they are feeling. That gives them a sense of a power or ability to, to then control their feeling and that they can manage their own feelings. Well, that's Anthea Nagur, and she joins us again today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus Africa CEO, Graham Schnell, and I'm Alison Schnell. This aspect of mental health is so important, and I'm excited about this program because I think there are some simple things that we can do to really strengthen our own mental health and certainly help our kids in that regard too. Absolutely. I'm thinking of that verse in John 10, that Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. I think that applies to every aspect of who we are, including our mental health. So I'm looking forward to the program today. There's a lot of concern over the mental health of people in general, but specifically children. I think globally, and it's certainly true here in South Africa, and at Focus, we want to help parents raise and shape and prepare our kids, not just to survive, but to thrive, to be healthy and well-adjusted and resilient. Last time we shared a great conversation with Anthea, who is our counseling director here at Focus Africa. She has a wealth of knowledge and she's at the coalface every day. She's seeing the struggles parents and children are facing and working with her team to help those families that are struggling. And I said it last time, Anthea, I love what you and your team do on a daily basis. And I know it's tough um, because you are dealing with a lot of challenging and difficult circumstances, but you're doing an excellent job. So welcome back to the Focus on the Family broadcast. Thank you, Graham. (laughs) Well, last time we covered a lot of ground around mental health in children. We spoke about the South African context and just some of the challenges or barriers We spoke about what kids really need and what good mental health looks like in children. But we only really just got to the start of how we as parents can create an environment that fosters good mental health. You hit on the importance of just being present uh, because the relationship and the connection between parents and child is so vital. Yes, Graham. So the parent-bond-child connection is really critical to good mental health. And part of that is being physically and emotionally present for your child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned emotions, uh, being emotionally present. Uh, Talk about how we manage emotions and, and how that contributes towards a good environment for mental health. So kids are experiencing a lot of emotions, and it's really important that we can help them to recognize the emotions that they are experiencing, those big feelings when they're feeling angry or sad, because we know that all feelings are okay. Um, what, What parents can be encouraged to do is really to help them be aware of their emotions, what are they feeling, yeah. what, why are they feeling that, and to name those emotions. So once we name it, we can tame it. So it's important to be able to, to give them that knowledge to be able to name it, name what they are feeling. Yeah. That gives them a sense of, of a power or ability to, to then control their feeling mm-hmm. and that they can manage their own feelings. So that's really important in how we support our children when something is bothering them. Yeah. So 
Even if it is something that is small to you as a parent, it could be really big to them. So supporting your child when your child is having trouble at school or with friends at school is important, how we handle that. Mm-hmm. So giving them plenty of hugs or reassurance that you are there for them if they need to talk to you, that you are physically and emotionally present, that you will hear them out, even if they were in the wrong, and guide mm-hmm. them through that. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is so vital. This idea of naming and, and understanding our emotions is, is critical even for us as adults. And I think I would say generally uh, women are better at this than men. Men tend to have a limited vocabulary when it comes to our emotions. And I know I'm generalizing. Uh, but I think we all need help in this area before we can then teach our kids this. Um, but but have you come across or do you utilize tools in this? I'm, I'm thinking of emojis you know to to say hey what kind of emoji are you feeling or or even just having a chart with emotions so that we can help uh, expand that vocabulary that we don't just get stuck on i'm sad or i'm frustrated or i'm angry you know those are those are those are good emotions to be able to express but if if we we, we might be having a deeper emotion or our child might have a deeper emotion how do we get to that root and help them develop that vocabulary so that they can really express what they're feeling. Yes, absolutely. So we have really a wealth of resources that are now available. I think it's even available online as well as in our bookstore, as well as in our counseling center through the play therapy that we offer. So we have emotion ocean cards. We have a feelings chart. So, you know, kids really love things that are visual, that are tangible. It's really important for them to see the emotion. They can see it on the card and then they can choose which card represents best how they are feeling. Yeah. And, And where do you go from there I, I i think there's power just in having a, a better understanding and recognition of what i'm feeling but but what's the next step that you would take with that child to say okay i, I recognize i'm feeling helpless let's say uh, what do they what do you then coach them on to to help them overcome those challenges maybe that they're facing so it's a really great starting point for them, for you at both you as the parent and the child to know what it is exactly that they mm-hmm. are feeling, uh, what is in their heart, what is that big feeling that is making them behave in a certain way. And that can give you really um, a window into their, their feeling and mm-hmm. as to what is really going on. And then for you as a parent to be able to to validate what they are feeling yeah. and not for you to say to them, you shouldn't feel that way yeah. or to, to minimize that feeling. Yeah. And often that is what parents do um, is to say, stop it or stop crying. Yeah. But when we tell a child to stop feeling that way or stop crying, what that is telling a child is actually you're on your own in feeling that way and you on your own in your yeah. own pain. Yeah. So just listening to that child often that in itself is really helpful for that child to know that someone acknowledges my feeling and someone can actually sit down and process this feeling with me and then it depends on the situation whatever help they're needing whether it's a problem that they're having with friends at school or academically for you as the parent to follow through with some sort of action so that they know that they have support yeah yeah but it's not necessarily that you're having to rescue every situation. Um, that might be necessary. But sometimes it's just allowing them to express an emotion, validating that, that it's okay that they feel that way and being supportive and caring of them in that moment. That's part of helping them develop that healthy mental health. 
Absolutely. Yes, you're right, Graham. You never want to try to fix everything quickly because you can't as a parent. But it's really just for you to listen. And that's what children need to feel, that I'm heard and I'm understood. It's never really about you rescuing them from every little problem because children also have to be able to solve their own problems where they can. Yeah. And I guess it's having conversations about emotions, having conversations about thought patterns and, and what the child might be thinking and feeling. Um, would you encourage that? And, and are they again, or is it something that you can do around the dinner table? Or um, how would you go about just encouraging that conversation that a child knows that they are free to express the, the feelings that they may have? Absolutely. So asking questions and you as a parent to become to be curious about what they're saying or about what they're feeling instead of jumping to conclusions or seeing it in terms of from your adult uh, perception or your view of the world, but really to enter that child's world and to ask them, what's that feeling about? Or Mm. tell me more about what you are saying or what's making you feel that way. So having conversations around that can really help the child process and then get to really what is going on. Sure. Yeah. So being curious and and being empathetic uh, and all of that takes intentionality it's that same we spoke yesterday of the balance of having to do life but but making uh, the time for those children not just just to uh, be present which is one of the first things the important things but in that time when they are expressing emotion or th- or uh, feelings thoughts that they may have they were there to actually validate those as well um Talk about just uh, how we often can get this wrong. Um, I'm thinking of, I know you've given examples about maybe a, a mom who shouts at her, her kids. Um, these are, I guess, cases that you would have on a regular basis. How would you coach a, a mom who who's caught up in the busyness of life and is getting this wrong and shouting at her, her children. Give us a maybe a role play or, or a description of what that might look like and how you'd coach that mom. Yes, so I think the often parents, um, you know, when they come in and, and they're having counseling for parenting sessions or they're bringing the children in addition as well. Um, so often we, uh, we, once we, we make them aware of the impact of their behavior, um, then they are more, um, it increases their awareness as to what is the long-term impact of their actions mm-hmm. or the way that they're speaking, their behavior uh, in front of their child. So often parents are unaware um, mm-hmm. that this behavior that they're displaying um, is can be destructive. I once had a couple that uh, would throw things in front of the TV or, um, you know, out of anger when they were having a fight to sure. just to throw things, um, throw a saucer or a cup, um, it was in front of the child. So here the child is being exposed to violence. And they were just not um, aware of the damaging effects and the lasting effects that it can actually have on the child. But once they were made aware, they actually stopped that behavior. Yeah, sure. That's so good. Anthea, we know the the term self-care, I think, has become well-known and and, um, I think it's an important aspect of life uh, help me understand as a parent how do I obviously make sure I'm caring for myself but how do I help my child take care of themselves make sure that they're practicing good self-care what are some of the elements that are, are necessary in that 
So firstly, we know that parenting can be really demanding. And that is why self-care is important because we know that the stress that comes with life, self-care provides a stress relief. It provides a buffer against illness and disease. So there's so many benefits to really self-care. And it maintains a healthy body and a mind, which is what we all need in order to to thrive and to do life. And so modeling self-care for your child, that is first and foremost the most important uh, step in, in a way to show your child how to practice self-care. Yeah. So in terms of spiritual disciplines, you know, at, at your heart level as an adult, in terms of having times of solitude and, and your mm-hmm. child seeing you pray or having family devotions, mentally and in terms of emotionally, how you are journaling or how you are uh, dealing with your feelings, how you're coping Mm. with a terrible situation or a loss. That can speak volumes to them as a child. Mm. And then physically, how you're eating, how you're exercising, how you're taking care of yourself to reduce Mm. stress and the daily demands. So often that is really important in terms of modeling that to your child. And then for your child to have, you know, a really good night's sleep. Quality sleep is really important in terms of for good mental health. Healthy eating, talking to your child about making positive choices in life, mm. having those conversations around the dinner table about what is good behavior and explaining to them why, um, what is pro-social behavior. These are conversations that need to be having. And with a physically and emotionally present parent or caregiver, um, this is how we can promote good mental health. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. I think um, as spouses, we can back each other up on this in terms of and, and, and bring self-care into the vocabulary that we use in those conversations. I think of um, Alison, my wife, going for a run with her, with her friends and being able to say to the kids, this is something that's good for mom. And if it's good for mom, it's good for all of us because it, it's something that feeds her. It's good for her physically. It's good for her emotionally. But that they're actually hearing that language um, and then trying to find, I guess, help our kids identify those things. They're the obvious ones that you pointed out, the things that we know are necessary, sleep and exercise and nutrition. But there might be specific activities that w- would really play to their personality that that's, that's a um, building into them. That's one of those things that makes them come alive. Um, so I think that's really a good thing for us to do as parents, help identify those things and then keep the conversation you know, of around self-care. You don't have to always use the word self-care, but um, are you getting enough sleep? How are things going? Even again, speaking about those emotions um, and making sure kids are okay in that sense. I imagine though it's different and there are different uh, phases of life. How we, the conversations that we have with the with the teenager is going to be different to the conversation we have with a, a five year old. Um, and what's required in terms of mental health is obviously going to be different. Won't you? I mean, I know that's a that's a lot to cover in in one question and one answer. But how do we approach those different developmental phases when it comes to mental health in our children? So there's different stages of um, of really um, in the child's development. And as we know, as I said, in, I think in the, the first session, that what we believe and know about the world is really dependent on how we were treated and how we were raised in our early uh, developmental phases up until the child is five. Yeah. So Eric, Eric Erickson's theory um, talks about psychosocial stages. And it really is about... Um, 
an interest in how social interaction and relationships play a role in the development and the growth of human beings. So the first one starting off really from birth to 18 months where mm. a child learns that I can trust others. Mm. I can trust my caregivers. I can rely on my caregivers when I have a need for food or to put me to sleep. And the, the outcome of that phase is that the child learns to trust people yeah. and to have hope that people are dependable, people yeah. are safe. Yeah, especially as a, a dependent. <laughs> yeah. Of course, because in an, an infant is 100% dependent yeah. on its caregivers yeah. at that stage. And then we move on to early childhood, so um, from 18 months to three years, where a child is in the phase of things like toileting. Yeah. So becoming autonomous is an important phase in their developmental growth. So where a child is learning to I can actually be capable of doing something yeah. versus shame and doubt. So sure. we know that uh, children that are shamed uh, in their early development grow up to be adults who carry that shame. Yeah. And we see that in the counseling space as mm. we work with adults as well. Huge amounts of shame. Wow. And that, that shame has started from very young. Mm. So autonomy versus shame. And then we move on to preschool where um, a child from three to five years will look to explore and so we know that it's good for a child to explore, but also to have boundaries. So as parents providing that structure and nurture where a child can be safe to explore and be curious about the world. Mm -hmm. So that phase of initiative, initiating new things, trying out new things and being okay, even if I fail to try again versus mm -hmm. guilt is an important phase. And then moving on to school age where a child is in school, learning to be competent, learning to be confident in being able to, to, put, to um, do well at school or do something well at school. A child doesn't have to be able to do everything well at school, but at least being able to be competent in something yeah. so that they can work hard at being able to try and achieve something. So industry versus inferiority, because if a child fails to complete that stage, they will then feel inferior to everyone else. Yeah. And so as you can see, Graham, as these stages develop and move on, it leads to adolescence um, up until 18 years old, where a child then has to work on their identity mm. versus role confusion. So in adolescence, a strong sense of self is formed. Yeah. And if that strong sense of self is not formed, it leads to someone being confused about who they are. Yeah. And does, do they obviously build on each other? So, you know, laying their foundation of trust in the in those very early years. And then it, uh, on top of that comes, uh, I can't remember all of the <laughs> items you just raised, but um, I, I would imagine we, we've got to start right at the beginning and then build on that. But I, I really think, won't you go over those, just the positive, I know you had a, a, a positive and a negative, um, the things we need to avoid, but the things that we, we really want to put in our kids, starting with trust, in those early years. Absolutely. So it's things like trust from the early years, autonomy, when a child is exploring um, their surroundings, trying new things, initiating new things, inferior in, in industry, hard work versus inferiority, yeah. and then identity versus role confusion. So we know that, you know, if a child has low self-esteem, poor self-esteem, I'm incompetent, or there's doubt, or mm. I've been shamed, that leads to Depression, because we know that low self-esteem is linked to depression. Yeah, yeah. And it all stems from what, how we started out with this idea of relationship being the absolute key to it all, um, that we make sure that we're building that relationship, that, that out of that comes a trust 
from the child it comes the ability to explore to grow in their independence to to firm to to form that identity or find that identity and who they are so um it, it means that we have to be present, as we spoke about. It means we have to be intentional. Um, but that's what parenting's about. <laughs> that's what we've got to do. And, and not just so that we can raise kids that can get through, but uh, we really do want to raise kids that, that don't battle with mental health, that are, that are able to be resilient and, and be healthy and strong and, and well-adjusted. Um, and the, the, we, we, we gave in our program yesterday... Um, what it looks like when a child has good mental health. Um, and as we draw to a close on the second program, uh, as much as I don't want to end on a downer, I'd love to, to just hit on some of those aspects where mental health isn't good so that we can uh, help parents to be aware if there are challenges uh, that they they know that they can pick those up and, and certainly we can um, invite them to give us a call. But what are some of those aspects where uh, we, we that might raise some concern for us as parents around our kids and mental health? Certainly, Graham. So, you know, what we're seeing in terms of poor health, mental health in families today is a lack of self-care, uh, a lack of modeling self-care. So where parents have an untreated mental disorder and that's left unchecked, the parent undiagnosed, yeah. that's really a high risk factor for the child. Sure. Lack of parental engagement, as we spoke about it, where there is really no response or poor response from a child's caregivers, where parents are overly permissive to children. That's also a risk factor, a lack of a safe environment. In South Africa, the stats are 42% of children are exposed to violence in their home, so sure. in their microsystem. That's a high-risk factor where there is um, a, a little nurturing and structure, where there's a lack of loving discipline, so there's overly strict caregivers. That is also a contributing factor where there's no acknowledgement or poor or no listening to the child mm. and a lack of support. Um, really a lack of, when we say lack of support, lack of emotional, lack of physical support, and really a lack of proper nutrition yeah. and sleep and healthy habits. Yeah. That's awesome. that's excellent. I think that gives us a lot of clues to the, again, the environment that we are trying to prevent and the environment that we're trying to foster. Um, and I, I'm sure many parents are taking some notes and making sure we, we, we can get those right. But what about um, their parents is doing their best to tr to create uh, a healthy environment they they're invested in their kids and none of us are parents are perfect and we know that there are no perfect parents uh, but so we do make mistakes and we do get things wrong and and all of our children are different as well um, I'm thinking of not so much the environment but what might be some of the behaviors that and, and um, the kids that might be acting out in such a way that may raise concern for a parent to say that there's a there's a need here to to invest in their mental health, whether that means calling us for counselling or whether that means just doing the, some more hard work as a parent. But what might that look like? And I know again that might be different for different ages and stages. But just some of the the, the clues from a child's perspective. So we're seeing a lot of anger 
in children, in mm-hmm. younger kids and teens. That's come up a lot. Yeah. Uh, so when children are angry um, more often than not often, um, we when a child is has poor or decrease in academic marks, yeah. so they've dropped their performance, um, and there's uh, there's quite a significant difference in results from yeah. terms or from one year to the other year. That is a huge uh, sign, um, and it may not be again a mental disorder, but sure. something is wrong, yeah. and we've got to look at what is wrong yeah. and, and investigate further. And then when a child is showing just uh, we because we seeing just the increase of anxiety, mm. anxiety is quite easier to spot. Mm. If a child is spending a lot of a time alone in their room and not wanting to socialize, they were drawing, mm. they're spending a lot of time on devices and they, there's a change in behavior sure. uh, and they're really different and they're not wanting to enjoy the things that they used to enjoy. So those are some signs that a child does need to talk to someone if they're not talking to you about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being with us on the program, Anthony. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your experience seeing this on a daily basis. Really appreciate the work that you do. Thank you so much, Graham. I love that this building into our kids' mental health is not just some modern trend, but it's ultimately about raising contributors that are living out their God-given purpose. We've said it often before, parenting is not so much about raising kids, It's about raising future adults. I hope you've been encouraged and that you feel better equipped to have a positive influence over your children's mental health. And if you're really struggling, maybe with your own mental health, or maybe you heard some of those red flags and you're worried about your child, please reach out to us. We're here for you. We have a great team of counselors and we have a range of ways you can connect. It may be through a prayer request or having someone pray with you over the phone. Maybe it's setting up an online counseling session. Whatever suits you, we're there for you. You can give us a call or connect with our counseling team through the counseling page on our website. Our counseling team interacts with hundreds of people every month. There are a lot of hurting people out there, and it's an honor for us to come alongside them and help them get on a better path to healing. So give us a call on 031-716-3300 or you can connect with us online at safamily.co.za when you click the counseling link. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.